Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Janet Christofaro and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Ducky. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dear Dougie podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofaro, and thank you for tuning in today. This podcast is meant to open up the often avoided conversation about grief. While loss is something we will all experience throughout our lives, when it occurs, most of us are left not knowing what to do, how to feel, or how to talk about it. So whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, we hope these podcast conversations lead to a better understanding of grief and also give you some ideas and inspiration for how to show up for yourself and those you care about. So today's guest is Joshua Black. Welcome, Joshua. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for calling us all the way from Canada. I appreciate it. And Joshua is a PhD student at Brock University, where his research focuses on grief dreams. And in in your research, Joshua, you talk with a lot of people about the dreams that they have, don't have, wish they could have, or want to stop having about the people in their life who have died. And Joshua, you have some personal experience in this realm, right, of grief dreams. Is that kind of how you got connected to this work? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how I got connected. When I was in my undergrad, my father passed away very suddenly. And for me, it it was the first time I ever dealt with a loss. And it was completely devastating. There's, you know, no one teaches you how to deal with loss um, in school. And most of my friends never dealt with loss. So you kind of feel alone in the process. When I heard about my father's passing, I just sort of like broke down. I was in shock. I, I couldn't believe it. I still can't. But the interesting thing that happened to me was as much as I was devastated, I had a dream about three days after my father passed away where I got to say goodbye to him. And that was something that was really on my mind when I woke up, I felt like something changed in me. I didn't tell anyone the dream. I just sort of went on feeling a little bit better, right? And started pursuing different aspects of my grief journey that I couldn't before, like going back to school. And then I went from there to to volunteering um, with the bereaved. And then when people started talking about their own grief dreams, then I started to think, this is interesting. And then they're, they're asking why they had negative dreams or why don't they have dreams? So I went out to the academic research and there wasn't really much out there that, that I could use to actually give them any kind of answers. So I took it on to actually use my own loss, my own experiences to help others. And so did my MA and now I'm doing my PhD focusing strictly on these dreams of the deceased. Yeah, because it seems like dreams are mentioned like in peer support groups or in passing and writing about grief, but no one's ever really delved specifically into that topic and tried to quantify it in any way. No, and it's, and it's shocking I still don't understand why, because just through the research I've been doing, the majority of people are having these dreams at some point in their grief, yet many people um, have these negative biases towards these dreams in sort of group settings. Like I was a part of this organization to sort of help build, I guess, a grief support plan for a uh, briefing group. And I said I wanted to bring in dreams, right, to talk about dreams in some way to give people understanding. And two of the people in the group stated that they don't allow people to talk about their dreams in group because it leads to other things that they're not comfortable talking about. And so they tend to push the topic away. And I think the research has also done that. It pushed this topic away because some people see the find out as a spiritual sort of place that they sort of visit the deceased, but other people don't. And it's like that's the main thing that I'm trying to get across is that a lot of people have all different kinds of views of this event, but this event can either help or harm 
So the hesitation isn't so much from other people who are grieving, but maybe from people who are coordinating support for those who are bereaved. They're worried about it it kind of going into a more religious or spiritual, I think you said, realm. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I've heard. Other people that I've talked to um, state that they just don't know how to talk about it. So because of that, they don't want to ask the question because they don't want to say they don't know, right? At first, I was like kind of surprised, but now I understand because there's no research. And when they're in training in theontology school or counseling, they're not being trained on this subject. Yeah, it's such an interesting perspective of as maybe the provider of support. If I don't know anything about it, then we can't talk about it versus letting the person who's grieving <laughs> tell us this is <laughs> right, what's right. happening for me and I'll just respond to what you're bringing to me. Yeah, and I think that's the, the the best thing you can do is just provide a safe space where you say, I don't know, but please share. In that realm, what what's standing out to you recently in your research? The big thing is that there are different sort of themes that can occur, and some of them are positive and some of them are negative. A lot of the people that have these negative dreams don't really understand that they are common. And through dream research, we expect these dreams after loss to be negative. So one of the the theories on dreams is that dreams reflect a waking life, and there's a lot of evidence to show that this may be the case. And so you expect if you're feeling sad or you're grieving, you're going to have more negative dreams. And if you're, you know, if you're happy or positive, you have more positive dreams. So what's unique about these dreams, though, is like, yeah, you have these negative dreams, which are which can occur. They don't happen as much as some of the positive ones that most people probably heard about. But the negative dreams do occur. And then, but the positive dreams are very unique in the sense of they probably shouldn't be occurring, um, just because you're sad in waking life. So you shouldn't have these positive dreams with the deceased being present, but you do. Is that a dream that has like fits a certain measure for? being objectively positive, or is the positive side of the dream being rated by the person who's having the dream? It'd be more of the rater classified positive. Uh, Just for an example, it'd be like um, the deceased coming, saying that they love them, um, that they're with them, sort of thing. It's giving up. It's a positive atmosphere, um, and usually the dreamer will also say that is a positive experience for different reasons. So one reason could be that they see as a visitation, that they know they feel that the disease has crossed over, which is a very interesting concern that I didn't even know about. But a lot of people have this concern uh, that they need a sign to know that the individual has, has crossed over successfully. And so they use these dreams as a way to say they have. Other people uh, just want to have these dreams, and they're comforting not because they've crossed over. They don't even believe in an afterlife, but they um, value the, the dream itself because it gives them something that they're still longing for. You know, I know when my father passed away, I was uh, the one thing that went through my head was I'm not going to have any new memories of him, um, and I'm going to forget the old ones. The interesting thing about these dreams is they can actually replace the memories people have had together, and and at the same time make almost new memories. And you know, it's it's not you know 100% sure on on why this is occurring, but at the same time, you can see it as actually can influence people's grief in a positive way. I had a friend a few years ago whose sister had died in a car crash. And they had a series of dreams in which the sister was there and the sister didn't know that she had died. And this Mm. person felt like it was their responsibility to make sure the sister didn't find out that she had actually died. And then after like many years of having these dreams, there was a final dream where the sister said, it's okay, I know I'm dead. You don't have to keep it from me anymore. Is that a theme that comes up of people interacting with the person and the person either not knowing that they're dead or trying to keep them from finding that out? 
Yeah, I haven't heard much about like the the dreamer not trying to tell them, but I've heard dreams of deceased not knowing they're dead, so that's kind of common, but also how dreams change over time, and this is very fascinating. So I've even seen that in some of my own research, where it can be this sort of, the beginning of the dream can be more the deceased is trying to figure out, as you're saying, like, that they're dead, or they're trying to, like, give a reason for why they're even there. The dreamer says, you're not supposed to be here, you're dead. But then after that, it can sort of change to more, they're just talking, right? And then maybe they're in the background. Like, for me, one of the main things was I had these comforting dreams of my father, first one being, you know, um, being able to say goodbye. And then he was just in the background. Probably about a month ago or six months ago, I had a dream where it was just me and him again. And so there's this difference that occurs where it's like in the beginning it tends to be the dreamer and the deceased and that's it. And then as your grief, I think, um, progresses um, or, or heals, it, you could have more people coming in the imagery um, because it's less about you two anymore. Almost as if the the grief and the relationship with the person who died in a different form becomes more integrated in your life. And so that gets represented in a more integrated dream. Yeah. And it's it's beautiful. And I think, you know, the, the power of these dreams, it's hard for me to even, like, state that, like, just on air. The power of these dreams that people can, like, that I've heard is absolutely amazing. I've had, probably a couple months ago, I had an individual uh, say that they lost a friend uh, through suicide. And they went through a really tough time, and they started, you know, using and became an addict. And then they had this dream of the friend basically saying that they were okay. The individual said he basically stopped his addiction, and he was actually feeling joy in his life for the first time in over two years. It's just amazing what one dream can do. I always like like to sort of say, like, one dream can be like 10 years of psychotherapy. It can do something <laughs> that a lot of people just can't do. And I don't know really why that is, but it's still a mystery to me, but it's beautiful. And to see growth in that way... I think that's why a lot of people may want these dreams. One thing that comes up in our groups when we're talking about dreams is so many people feel as if they are passive receivers of something that they don't have any input or control over. It happens. And this is either from people who are having dreams that they would like to stop having or people who have never had a dream and really, really are craving to have that kind of dream time connection. Have you come across anything where people are able to have some more agency or input or control over these dreams happening? Not yet. I'm still, so in my research at Brock, I'm looking at what factors predict dreaming of the deceased. And so by understanding that, we can understand more of maybe who's having these dreams and maybe why they're occurring. So like what I'm finding is dream recall is the biggest one. So if people aren't having these dreams, it could be that they're just not remembering them. And if that's the case, it's about trying to recall your dreams more often. So the more often you recall your dreams, more probability you're going to actually recall one with the deceased in the imagery. And, like, people don't understand, but they, a lot of people think that you just dream in REM, but you actually dream throughout your whole uh, sleeping state. So if you're sleeping eight hours, you know, there's probably six hours that you are actually dreaming, and you're not remembering all that detail. So one of the uh, things I that has been shown in research is to remember more dreams, is to value your dreams more. Not just the dreams of the deceased, but all dreams. They suggest to keep a dream diary by the bed, and then if you get any kind of image or, or sound or you hear anything, you write that down, or storyline, write that down. Um, and then that way you're teaching yourself that these dreams are valuable. Because you know, one thing in our culture is that we don't 
pride ourselves on teaching that dreams are valuable. Uh, there's nothing to do in school that, that talks about this. Other cultures do. Uh, in the Western culture, we really don't. So it's understandable why people don't remember as many dreams as they probably could. So there's some things people can do to sort of build that capacity to recall their dreams. Yeah. That's right. I was going to say, you mentioned even the negative dreams, right? So if someone's having negative dreams, one of the things to do is to, uh, you can dream rescript. And so what that is, is you take the dream, whatever it is, if it was like a recurring nightmare or something, and you change the end of it to something more positive. And you rehearse that before bed. And research has shown that actually decreases the dreams occurring. You mentioned, too, um, kind of our Western culture and how we oftentimes dreams are not valued uh, across the board. And I I wonder just in general about dream interpretation and dream significance and particularly dreams about the deceased and what you've come across in in terms of how those are interpreted differently or valued differently in in different cultures. Yes. So first, uh, when it comes to dream interpretation, a lot of people, uh, they'll buy those dream interpretation books like apple means this or, you know, like ant means this. Uh, or I your always, teeth falling out. Or... <laughs> yeah, it means, means something. I always, uh, I always joke around about that. And I said, you know, it's great to sort of maybe look at to realize how symbolism can occur through dreams, but to never really rely on it because everyone's so unique. So, like, you probably see, um, you know, a dog different than I see a dog. And so we all have our unique symbols, so you really can't rely on the Internet or these dream dictionaries to give you that meaning of what your dream may symbolize. So moving forward to dreams about the deceased, this is any kind of dream that has a deceased, you could more or less um, relate to your grief in some way. Like if there's any kind of anxiety in a dream, if there's anger, if there's um, even feelings of guilt, it's to explore those and to see if the individual has those um, emotions in waking life. And then uh, your other question was, how does it relate to other cultures? A lot of people, when it comes to even like the positive dreams, they can be actually, even though they're positive, they can be negative depending on your belief system. So in, there was a study done uh, in Cambodia that their religion there, I believe it was Buddhism, um, they believe in reincarnation. When they had these dreams of the deceased saying that they love them, they actually woke up and they saw it as a negative experience because they felt the deceased wasn't reincarnated. And so because of that, they would provide these sort of rituals in waking life to try to try reincarnate them. And the reason why it was a negative thing is because they feel that the deceased soul can affect their soul on earth in a negative way if they're not reincarnated. So it's just very interesting how people take these dreams. And I've, I've talked to other Buddhists actually since then and asked them about it, like, and they said, no, no, they're either enlightened or they'll, they'll reincarnate when they need to, but their dreams are still comforting. So I've come to learn, uh, even in Christianity, people have different views when it comes to, you know, like these deceased. Some people say they are, some people say the devil's tricking you, other people say it's the soul, other people say it's just a memory. So, you know, like it doesn't really matter uh, what religion or, or where you're from. It really matters what the individual believes, because there's no place, I think, so far i found where a dream of the deceased means that, like a certain thing. Everyone has their own models and beliefs about what that dream actually is. And that's what I really appreciate about your research is that so often we can be raised with or we read about something and then we think, oh, this type of dream is bad. But then your research is showing there's so many different ways to interpret what's going on and possibly that could lessen a little bit of the suffering that could come with that and, and build some more curiosity. What does this dream mean to me and, and why is it happening in this time in my grief? And that's the, the beauty of it all. It just gives you another tool 
to understand where you are in your grief. It's hard for us to pinpoint exactly where we are because we try to, you know, save face for so many people. And we try to put a smile on. We try to sort of, you know, we hide so much stuff. Um, but in the dream world, what I love is that it comes out and you have no control. And so whatever comes out, it's actually saying something to you that you're, maybe you're avoiding in waking life. The other big thing I found, too, where people feel isolated with these dreams that they have. And the reason why is because when people share their experiences, the one thing we fear the most is someone to judge it negatively. And so I've been finding that a lot of people keep their dreams in because they don't want people to change their meaning. So it could be they believe it's a visitation dream and they don't want someone to tell them it's not or that they have the dream and they don't want to be told it was a visitation. Or the other thing is they don't want to tell the dream because they don't want the other person to say they're not over the loss or that they've gone crazy. And so you see all these negative judgments that are out there, um, and so they keep it in just due to fear. Even though it's such a positive experience in their life, they're keeping it in and they're making it a secret. And it's so interesting how many times I do a talk or meet someone where I ask the question, have you ever dreamt of your loved one? A lot of them just open up and they say yes, and they say, it's the first, you're the first person I've actually really told. And like that's a huge honor for me to be able to be a part of their experience of opening up. But it's very sad for me at the same time that they've been, this one person was 20 years, they kept it a secret. And that's 20 years of you know hiding from the world in this small area that the dream meant so much to the person. What I'm hoping you know by doing these talks and um, spreading more or less knowledge about this to sort of allow people to be able to share these dreams without the judgment. And it's interesting that it's it's less about well for some people it's wanting to protect the dream and the meaning that they've um, put on that dream right so I don't want to tell my dream to someone and have them give me their interpretation or negate what I believe is happening and then for that person you who said who kept it to, to themselves for 20 years it wasn't so much of like this is private and precious to me so I don't want to share it it was from the fear if I do share it what will happen and so much of our work is trying to break down those barriers to sharing it's certainly one thing if it's private and precious, but another thing to say, I really want to share, but I can't because I'm worried about how people are going to respond to me. Yeah, that's right. And so hopefully, yeah, as you know, time moves forward, more people will be able to talk about this subject in a safe environment and without judging or trying to interpret the dream. As I said, at the end of the day, like only the dreamer knows what the dream means. Like I'll never tell someone what the dream means. They'll say, like, does this make sense to you? Like, is this not like something that you're going through, especially if it's a negative dream? And they usually say yes. Usually they have anger, guilt, or something. But when it comes to the positive dream, I just say whatever you believe, that's what I believe. And they, they appreciate being able to share, but also to realize that they're also being validated at the same time. And that they get to be the owner of their experience and their interpretation of what's happening. That's right. And this goes back down to continuing bonds. A lot of people visit grave sites. Other people, you know, watch videos. Um, to remember their loved ones. Some people have these dreams, and it gives them that connection. And the one thing I want to share, too, about people and judgments, I talked to this gentleman, and he actually went to his uh, health professional. Uh, he was having these dreams of the deceased, and he, was, he thought they were meaningful. He told his doctor, and the doctor said, oh, it's because of medication. And there's actually no proof of that actually occurring, that having a, a certain medication provides that dream. So the doctor was doing great injustice by minimizing the individual's experience. So I had to talk to the guy and, and basically inform him that that's not the case. And so correct that mistake and then give him sort of that space for him to share the dream and ask him like what he felt the dream meant. So at every different angle of when it comes to grief and all the different issues, there are people along the way that if they have a misunderstanding of these dreams or they're afraid to talk about the dreams, they may minimize it. And that does uh, great injustice to the people who are just trying to share. 
So in a sense, you started off doing dream grief dream research, but you're also doing grief dream advocacy with your work. Yeah, it's funny how that works, right? <laughs> yeah, so I'm wondering for, for people who are listening out there, if they'd like to get involved with your research or be part of the community of people who are having these grief dreams, uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch? It's, uh, you can go to my website, griefdreams.ca, and on there there's a lot of different material. So you can read um, different academic articles uh, that I've published and other people's published on there. But if you want to share, I have this group uh, that I started. It's the it's a Grief Dreams Facebook group, and you'll see there's over 700 people in there, and they're all very friendly and they're all supportive of people in their you know, grieving process. So if you have a dream you want to share it, feel free to put it on there if you have Facebook. If not, feel free to just email me, and I always sort of respond. And so if you just want to hear maybe other people's journeys and maybe more detail about their dreams that they've had, you can listen to the podcast. And the other thing, too, on Instagram, at Grief Dreams, if you go to that, I post a bunch of uh, dreams every day. So people can get an idea of different dreams that people have. So some of them are positive, some of them are negative. And so I, I do that with human loss and also pet loss. Well, I'm just so grateful, Joshua, for this work that you're doing and how it's grown into this big community of people being able to connect with one another from all the way across the world. So thank you so much for that, and thank you so much for being a guest today on our podcast. Well, thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk about this because there's not a lot out there, and that's one thing I learned when I started searching for podcasts, that your, one of your yours came up. And so for that, I you know, you got to applaud yourself for that, and I know a lot of people are out there. Um, thank you for the work that you are doing. Oh, well, thank you for listening, and I'm glad you found us. That's what matters the most. Yeah, so. <laughs> it wasn't hard. It wasn't hard. So for everyone out there who listened today to this episode, thank you for tuning in. And if you would like to listen to any of our past episodes, you can find us at Dougie.org. That's D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G. And Dear Dougie is also available on any of your podcast platform that you might be using. If you have an idea for an episode or a topic you'd like us to talk about, please get in touch. You can reach us at help at Dougie.org. Thanks for listening and hope you'll tune in again next time. Thanks for listening.